Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I'm Aaron Cameron. With me, as always, is Adam Pawatic. We're recording live today at the Western Canadian Apartment Investment Conference as part of our Real Estate Forums series. Our guest today is a gentleman named James Ha, who is the president of Boardwalk REIT. James, welcome aboard. Thank you so much, Adam and Aaron. Very happy to be here at the uh, apartment conference. It's nice to see so many people, especially back after uh, two and a half years of what was COVID. Yeah, we did a series like this at the Toronto Real Estate Forum in December, and it was just this euphoric, oh my goodness, it's so nice to be out and doing it again. And then all of a sudden, Omicron hit, and we just got shut back (laughs) down. And then here we are again now, May 17th, just date stamp it so everybody knows and it feels really good to be back out and seeing faces again. A lot of hugs going on around here. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see the traffic as well. I mean, we had uh, dinner on White Avenue yesterday. And, you know, this is in between uh, playoff hockey games. But it was nice to see the activity, the traffic, the restaurants were busy. Well, you also ask, Oilers or Flames? Unfortunately, I'm a Flames fan. I know we're in Edmonton here and I'm going to whisper that, but I am a Flames fan. <laughs> yeah. Securities have to walk you out of here after that comment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably by the time people are listening to this, they know who won the series, so I'll uh, <laughs> leave it there. Let's get to your background first, James. We'd like to just set this up. So maybe just talk about how you got into real estate and then what your career path looked like to end up now as the president of Boardwalk Reed. Sure. Thanks, guys. I, you know, my story is quite organic. And so in the sense of you know, coming out of school, spent a little bit of time in banking, actually had an opportunity at Boardwalk to come on as a financial analyst. This would have been back in 2006. Prior to that, and sorry, just to back up a touch, my first internship in first year university, so this would have been back in the early 2000s, was with Boardwalk as a leasing agent. Internships work. That's, yeah. a, that's an amazing story. <laughs> yeah. So I spent my uh, that summer renting apartment units right here in Calgary. You know, from there, again, went on to do some banking internships, spent a little bit of time in banking, had an opportunity to come back to Boardwalk in an analyst role, working for Rob Jeremiah, our, uh, my predecessor and past president, as well as Sam Golius and our CEO. Had an amazing experience, learned a lot, continued to garner more responsibility as it related to our finance portfolio, the capital market side, investor relations, started to see some of the acquisition side, moved into a director type role a few years thereafter, proceeded to move into an executive role as vice president of finance. And from there, just recently with some of the changes that we've had and um, evolution of our team, we've now effectively transitioned to what we'll call our second generation management team here today. And I'm so proud of Every team member that we have, I think we've got an exceptional opportunity, especially in the affordable housing market and where we are today. And I think going forward, the future looks really bright. I think for Boardwalk, as as everybody knows, we own 33,000 apartments across five provinces here in Canada. 70% of our portfolio is in Alberta and Saskatchewan being unregulated markets. And I think we're going to touch on this uh, a little bit later on the podcast. But, you know, I think one of the benefits that this second generation management team at Boardwalk has had is we've had the benefit of learning from all the great things that our first generation team has done. But as well as, you know, some of the learning experiences that we've had over the last several years as we've seen some more volatility in the housing markets. And that's, you know, across geographies. And so we can take those lessons, take those learnings and apply them going forward. 
are they like the overbearing parents where they're kind of huddling over you, making sure you don't, don't make a mistake? Or are they really letting you learn as you go? Like I said, I think our team has learned a lot over the last years. I mean, we've, uh, you know, we've invested places where, you know, perhaps we've overinvested and other places where we underinvested. But, you know, I would say overall coming into the type of market and environment we have here today, I'd say we're, we're better positioned than anybody else to navigate these choppier waters. Well, maybe we should, uh, you know, expand on that too, because for a lot of the country, the last time, you know, other than the, you know, the pandemic, of course, which we're still kind of coming out of, the last time people saw choppy waters would have been, you know, 2008 to some degree. And then more significantly, you know, in 1990, 1989, which is a very long time ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you're talking about you know, Alberta specifically, there was uh, 2014, 15 in there where you had a, a localized amount of choppiness in the market to navigate. So you've got the, you know, the somewhat unique position of having recently had to really button down the hatches and take care of business and get through. So we want to spend a little time on, uh, on the lessons learned from that last go around and how maybe this influencing your decisions now. Yeah, Adam, I, I think you hit it bang on. So, you know, 2016, 2017, just to frame that for, for everybody. Well, that was really the environment that our Western Canadian or Prairie markets had experienced uh, macroeconomic disruption. Right, we all know what happened with energy prices, and fortunately for us in residential housing, really remains and through that time period, through the test of time, really is a necessity. And so, you know, the disruption that we had experienced, and historically speaking, multifamily housing performs well in strong macroeconomic environments, and generally speaking, perform well in softer economic environments. You know, what really impacted us then or what disrupted the residential industry back in 2016, 2017 was just an overglut of supply. We all recall developers putting on several apartment assets. There was a lot of uh, construction that was occurring in anticipation of strong demand growth. And we'll recall back in Alberta, back in 2014, 2015, net migration to our province was almost 100,000 people a year. Contrary to popular belief in 2016, you know, net migration had declined to about 40,000 people a year. Yet, we had a development community that was building in anticipation for that 100,000. And so, hence, you know, we had a couple of years where, you know, there was an oversupply in the market. You know, we had to work through that. And fortunately for, for Boardwalk, we were in a strong enough position with a, with a strong balance sheet to be able to throw everything at the wall, right? Let's figure out, hey, how do we excel and create value in a more competitive environment because to your point prior to the the prior disruption of the financial crisis was very v-shaped for the residential market and that was primarily because again there was not a lot of supply at that time and so the housing market very quickly rebalanced and i think the difference for for us in alberta saskatchewan was there was a prolonged period of overcapacity in that housing market and as a result we had to learn how to compete not only against newer product, but against our peers and competition with existing assets. You were the, you were now, you were obviously involved in the executive at the time. You were the VP of finance throughout that. So you were kind of at the table with these decisions. I want to talk about just your transition into presidency, how you've taken those lessons from that turmoil into today's market. And then we'll kind of transition and talk about what's going on today. And, you know, you said 33,000 units. So you've got good perspective of what's going on around sure. Western Canada, particularly Alberta and Saskatchewan. But let's just, let's just talk about your transition to the presidency. And, and you, you talked about Boardwalk and its values and how you drive value and what you're using 
as a brand, really, right? And so I'm going to kind of just throw this up to you and then James, you can take it wherever you want. But I mean, as you move into as a presidency, you have to put your fingerprints on on it, but you have to also respect the first generation as you kind of referred to it. Sure. So what have you done in this first period? And what does your next sort of 24 months look like as it relates to Boardwalk as a brand, Boardwalk as a reputation and, and you know, not necessarily market-driven factors? Yeah, I think our team has an unbelievable platform to kick off on here, right? And so, you know, to your earlier point, I mean, this is not a complete U-turn by any means. This is a continuation of an amazing foundation and platform that currently exists at Boardwalk. And so for us, I think I would say over the next several years, the opportunity today right now is to really garner a reduction in what is known as incentives in our marketplace. You know, for our portfolio, you know, we're sitting with roughly, you know, roughly 35 to $40 million of incentives that are currently existing. That's an opportunity, frankly, for that to flow almost entirely to that bottom line. What are those incentives? If you could just make up a high level what the makeup of that $35 million is. Yeah. So if I think of those incentives, we'll, in, in real estate, we'll refer to them as, call it uh, months free. But you know, if I think of 2016, 2017, in our marketplace, you know, it was not uncommon for residents to sign a 12-month lease and get two months free on that. You know, we're down to effectively nothing in Calgary. Our, our Calgary portfolio is sitting at 1% vacancy here today. You know, if I think of Edmonton, Edmonton is quickly improving. We're sitting at about 5% vacancy. In Which is below market in both of those. Yeah, what, what would be market for both of those uh, vacancies? Yeah, what we have found for Boardwalk is uh, we're, we're typically about 100 to 200 basis points better than the market from an occupancy standpoint. And so, you know, that would put Calgary in the 2 to 3% range. That would put Edmonton into the 6 to 7% range when we speak with our peers here at the forum today. Well, that's what CMAC would say too, if, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah, so. and that seems to be where everybody is at. And so... Incentives are, are declining very quickly in this marketplace. But yet, you know, affordability remains so high here. And so affordability is a key topic for our industry here today, and that's across Canada. I would say, you know, Edmonton and Calgary with average rents of about a dollar thirty a foot in our portfolio. I mean, there's exceptional runway there, especially in the context of, you know, uh, when we say affordability, those income levels of Albertans remain some of the highest in the country. And so there's a huge opportunity here for us to you know, continue to drive value and grow that top line, especially in this inflationary environment. I think part of the thesis for us, and this is very important in light of this inflationary environment, is being in unregulated markets allows us to keep up with that inflation. We all know what's happening with utility costs. We just recently reported our first quarter results and saw double-digit increases in utilities. You know, property tax is another area that we would call a non-controllable expense. And insurance. Insurance is a massive one. Thank you. Yeah, insurance. We're seeing double-digit increases there as well. And fortunately for us here in, in our unregulated markets, when market conditions allow like they do today, you know, we can gain some pretty strong leasing spreads to allow us to not only recoup those inflationary costs, but potentially even expand margins from there. I think um, to your earlier question about, you know, where are we going? Where's Boardwalk going? I think, you know, over the next couple of years, we are primarily focused on driving that revenue growth or that recovery of incentives. Again, that's a key word. That revenue growth is going to come from a reduction of discounts that we had given. Mm -hmm. I think thereafter, there's a massive opportunity for us to leverage an existing platform that we have utilizing technology to start to 
you know, change the way that we're operating. And so what do I mean by that? Well, we always like to use the analogy of banking. You know, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, you know, how would we do our banking? We would go to the bank branch and we'd go stand at the teller line. You don't do that still? I don't do that anymore, <laughs> no. But if you think of today, I mean, we're all doing our banking from our phone, right? I could trans- we can transfer funds, pay bills right here, right now. And so I think there's that opportunity for residential housing to do the same thing. Today, many of our residents still come down to our leasing office to use our point of Crazy. sale terminal and pay their for bills. 12, 12 months postdated checks. Yeah, we have <laughs> yeah. some of that too, yeah. right? You know, our maintenance requests. You know, we have a 24-7 call center. You can call and request maintenance from your phone, but often we continue to have our residents come down and come into our leasing offices and you know, utilize those requests that way. Well, what if the residents were able to request their maintenance, pay their bills, speak to us, chat with us live using a digital platform? Is there an opportunity for us to become even more efficient from a platform standpoint? And I think there's a huge opportunity there for us to really change the way and improve, frankly, the resident experience with technology. Which only really comes, of course, with the you know, larger operators. It further separates something like a, you know, a boardwalk building because they're part of a large platform from a, a small operator that might have one or two buildings. They cannot implement systems like that. And people value that. People appreciate it. You know, under a certain age demographic, you say they expect it. You know, that's, that's just table stakes. You have those kinds of the digital connection in place. You know, I, I think we'll be one of the first to do it. But it hasn't happened yet, which I find surprising. I was just going to go there. It, it is. We've, Adam and I love prop tech. So we've been yeah. talking about, you know, the implications of blockchain technology and real estate for like six years now. <laughs> and we're probably still 10 years away from it even being a notion. But it is, I find it really interesting because we've had this conversation so many times with providers and users and providers didn't mean like Yardi or other platforms that want to provide it to the, sure. the landlords. And then landlords that I presume like yourself that are looking more to build sort of proprietary software. It was 2022 and yet it hasn't really been delivered in any grand scale. I'd like to hear what your challenges have been to get to the delivery line and to be one of the first that actually gets it into the hands of the tenants. The good news is we've got uh, some amazing partners that we're working with. And you know, to Adam's earlier point, I think, yes, it'll be the larger property community providers who will be one of the first to do it. But I think adoption of it will be quite quick with our mom and pop operators. I think you know, that's the beauty of technology is it can be very quickly rolled out and it can be agnostic to size. You know, there's great companies. We're partnered with a company called Yoohoo who is going to have that. Um, so is it their software or is it your software? It is their software. Okay. And you're just, you're partnering with them. Partnering with to them. Deliver. They're, partnered with, they're partnered with some of our peers as well. And so I think, you know, collect- <laughs> Are you okay with that? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, collectively, again, collectively, we all have this huge opportunity to improve resident experience. And, you know, <laughs> We, we need all residents in Canada to migrate towards that type of experience and have that type of expectation in, in the market, which, again, this will benefit all of our peers and all of our competitors equally. However, I think it's that big of an opportunity, and I think we'll see it over the next, over the medium term. And the value proposition from something like that, obviously, you know, your, your tenants appreciate it, so there's a value there. But is it a less expensive way of you managing those requests? Is there a cost savings aspect to it as well? There is. There's a cost and efficiency savings. You know, one of our, for Boardwalk, we are fully vertically integrated. And so we have 1,500 associates across the country. That is, 
That is unique. Is that like superintendent? Is that what you mean by you've associate? Got it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, you've got it. For we've got old school terminology, right? We've yeah. got it. We've yeah. got customer service representatives at our communities. We have leasing associates. We have maintenance. We have cleaning. Again, all of that. I think going forward, how do we how do we become as an industry and and for Boardwalk, how do we become more efficient and leverage some of this technology that that currently exists? Yeah, I mean, I've lived in apartments a long time, not anymore, but the ability to just push a button and say, you know, my doorknob won't work or my lock's broken or I mean sinks flooded or I don't know like whatever it is it can be a challenge days at times to get it fixed and, and under 25s do not want to use the phone that's, right. that's a simple cultural or, shift or yeah. get in the elevator and walk down to the property manager's office or whatever like it's why can't I just touch a button and make it go away that's right, right? Yeah. so have you had any pitches from prop tech that would be Nothing you're going to implement now, but the cutting edge of the future of apartment buildings. Have you had any run-ins with companies selling stuff that you thought might be a, a next level? You know, our space is, um, to your guys' point, PropTech is quickly evolving. I think one of the unique investments that we've made here in Canada is you know, we are invested in a private equity fund called RET, or Real Estate Technology Ventures. It's a private equity fund in the U.S. They're based in the United States where we're partnered with several other apartment owners and operators in the United States to seed fund property tech ventures. You know, we've already produced, uh, as a fund, produced Smart Rent. So Smart Rent is based in the U.S., recently IPO'd. Again, many of their, they were born out of this RETV fund and, you know, allows us as community providers to have first access to these new technologies. And so, you know, to your point, I mean, I think we're quickly evolving. All we have to do is look down south of the border to see where and how apartment operations is going. You know, they're already doing it. They're already doing virtual showings. They're already doing digital management. You know, if I think of the pandemic even, thank goodness we had some of this technology that existed, right? Thank goodness we were able to utilize virtual showings and, you know, being able to converse with our residents, not having to be in person. I think that was that was very important and allowed us to actually outperform relatively during that time period. Our, our occupancies actually improved during the pandemic while others others didn't have that same benefit. This might be a bad week to ask this question, but uh, taking payments in cryptocurrency on the on the horizon for boardwalk or is that a little too unstable of a market currently? Good question. I think for us, uh, you know, the challenge with cryptocurrency is that volatility. I mean, we'll we'll talk to our investors and ask their thoughts on, on that. But I mean, you know, real estate is all about consistency, and I think uh, the, that volatility that <laughs> yeah. exists in cryptocurrency might may get us into a little bit of trouble. Well, so here's a question, out of the, and this is related: the thirty three thousand units. What is your tenant profile, and is it geographically? I mean, I guess it depends on the location, and and because the cryptocurrency question is a good one if you have assets that are predominantly newer generation, generation X, Z, I don't know, whatever, the new generation. Your generation X, almost. Z is what we're talking Z, about okay, now. Whatever. Z, yeah. I lose track, sorry. <laughs> and or, I mean, of course, a lot of apartments are also have older tenants that I, I mean, talk about you know, post-dated checks, like that's sure. still their style of payment. So it's got to be something that is in top of mind for certain assets, right? Yeah, I would say, you know, if I think of our portfolio, one strategy that was born out of 2016, 2017 was a diversification of even our own product offering. And so, you know, that diversification of our product offering allowed us to cater to a wider demographic of residents. You know, for us, really, our goal is to be able to provide rental housing 
across the rental housing life cycle for our residents, right? So you, know, you start at, you know, using today's dollars terms and I'll use Edmonton rents starting at, you know, $1,200. We've got a place for you, right? You're looking for something a little more upscale at $1,300, $1,400. It has more amenities. Our community's brand, we have something for you. Well, you're looking for something a little more luxurious, full amenities, full service. You know, we're talking using, again, Edmonton dollars, $1,800 to $2,200 a month. We have that in our lifestyle brand. And so, you know, I think that was actually one of the smartest things that we've done in terms of being able to retain residents within our platform, within our brand for several years. Our average customer stay is almost four years. Wow. Our portfolio, and as is, their life evolves, as their life stages change, they can stay within the boardwalk brand exactly, community. Exactly. And so to your point, we have a very wide demographic within our platform. And you name it. We have everybody from, you know, recent graduates who are moving out of mom and dad's basement. We have all the way to seniors who have lived with us for several years. And so the cryptocurrency question, we haven't really had uh, come through from our residents. But again, I think, I think at this time, if we can, first priority is to move everybody onto the digital platform first and uh, <laughs> stop taking post-dated checks. And in general, real estate is not on the cutting edge of anything when it comes to technology. Adoption is slow, you know, and especially we're talking about 33,000 unit portfolios. That's a lot of people. Yeah. You got to get on board for that. It's uh, we'll wait yeah. for the governments to start taking tax payments and cryptocurrency and then we'll yeah. adopt it, right? That's basically, we move this just almost as quickly yeah. as they do. Let's pivot a little bit, James. We're, we're getting into the, sort of the second half of this podcast. And so we have to talk about the marketplace and just what's going on right now. And you've got a great view of just how challenging it is out there. And, and sorry, before we get there, I just I want to set a little bit of you know, just the, the conversation with out of the 33,000 units, how many have you developed? Are you developing currently? And or, I mean, I think you also do some sort of merchant purchasing. I don't know how to phrase that, but maybe just kind of talk about the portfolio sure. from ages and stages. And then we can talk about how that different components are implicated by the current environment. Sure. So of the 33,000 apartments, again, we're in five provinces, about 65 to 70% of it is based here in Alberta, Saskatchewan. The balance is in BC, Ontario, and Quebec. The majority of our portfolio is classic, you know, 1970s, 1960s apartment buildings. However, I would argue that uh, our buildings and our communities are as like new as what currently exists. I mean, we've invested billions of dollars into our portfolio over the past several years. I think an opportunity here today that exists is new development or was new development in certain markets. You know, today, we're building in Victoria, B.C., Victoria is a market that screens really high from a macro standpoint. It is one of the target markets for us to grow. You know, and I'll save for the last eight weeks, but, you know, prior to the last eight weeks, I mean, you were seeing cap rates that were extremely low out there. It's also a rent regulated market. And so the opportunity for us strategically was to build our own portfolio, right? We can and set rents and set rents and utilize, you know, the learnings that we've had from prior developments that we've had in Calgary, where we're using kind of four, five-story, up to six-story type wood frame construction to keep costs down. Uh, we all know how expensive building concrete is today. The wood frame is, is increasing in price. However, you know, on a relative basis, I think the opportunity for us is to you know, pick locations that can get concrete type rents with a construction cost of wood frame buildings, right? And so we're talking you know, semi-suburban type assets yeah. where you know, I think we can create a ton of value with that. 
That's how you make performance work in the current environment. That's the (laughs) concrete rents that uh, would build. I I will say we're also building in in the GTA in Brampton, Ontario, two towers, 365 units. That is concrete. Thank goodness that we locked in our prices on that a couple of years ago, and we're going to deliver the first tower just in a few months here. But even then, I mean, we're building... You know, that, that building, this is publicly disclosed, we'll, we're talking $550,000 a door. Yeah, yeah. Don't ask him who financed that. We, um, <laughs> we should, how many units do you have under development or planning right now? Well, we have a pipeline of about 1,000 units right now in Victoria, BC. You know, at this point, you know, there's an opportunity for us to continue to look for further land assemblies, uh, further land opportunities to continue to scale and cluster that portfolio. I would say, you know, today, Victoria would be the biggest target market uh, in our eyes in terms of acquiring land and looking for development opportunities, as well as, you know, the A of the GTA. So Brampton, again, part of our operating strategy is to cluster and to scale those markets. And so in Brampton, Ontario, we recently acquired a, a legacy townhome, you know, to provide that operating platform for us. And again, depending on circumstances, I think, you know, one of the unique aspects of our strategy or capital deployment strategy is really that we are opportunistic. We know which markets we like, right? So nobody should be surprised by this. We like Victoria. We like the A, the GTA. We also like our prairie markets. We like the unregulated nature of our Alberta and Saskatchewan portfolios. And so, you know, depending on opportunity, I think everything changes every every single day. I think in this interest rate environment, there may be unique opportunities that arise and We'll be there to take advantage of those. Are you doing JVs or are you kind of going it alone for the most part? Yeah, we're happy to, to do joint ventures. We currently have a partner, a development partner in Brampton, Ontario, Redwood Properties. You know, very well-versed and long-standing organization that is based in Toronto. We've partnered with RioCan. You know, we recently built 160 units in Calgary, right across the street from the university. That community is performing very well. We're 50-50 partners. You know, it's, uh, we're happy to partner with, with the right partners. I think you know, partnerships are, are really when each party is bringing value to the table. And I think you know, in both cases, if I think of Rio Can, you know, they have a great, beautiful site there called Brentwood Village right across the street from the university. They're managing the retail space that exists in the podium and we're managing the residential. And similarly with our partners, Redwood Properties in Ontario, you know, we're managing the residential, they're, they're bringing their land and development expertise to deliver amazing communities. Any markets that you're uh, de-weighting in right now? We like all the markets that we're in. I think part of our strategy is we will continue to divest non-core assets. And so non-core assets, not so much market, but, you know, opportunities where, you know, we can find assets that we can recycle and turn around capital from, again, what we deem as non-core and turn it around into the opportunistic investments that we were just talking about. I think, you know, for us today, one of those places where we are reinvesting from an opportunistic standpoint is actually our stock buyback. And so that's a very unique place where being public, we can actually invest in real estate at a cost that is much cheaper than valuations that you're getting in the private market. I mean, today, and sorry for the plug on this one, but, you know, at $50 a share, we're trading at about $150,000 per apartment door. That's one five zero. We can't find that. We can't find... No, versus, what's, the di- what's the discount to NAV on that? You know, our NAV is about $69 a share. That's about, about $190,000 per apartment door. So it's a significant discount to our NAV. And so 
you know, being a public organization, we have that opportunity to, you know, take advantage of disconnects when, when they exist today. And yeah. again, today, that's a place where we are looking to deploy capital. And for anybody who doesn't follow too closely, most of the time, Reese traded a premium to NAV. So when they are below, especially substantially, that does uh, usually indicate uh, buy if you're a believer in the uh, the apartment market. So we'll reinforce your plug. <laughs> it was casually, <laughs> casually slid. Uh, the other thing we always talk about this too is that revaluations do not incorporate future development. So you've got those two assets coming online in a couple of months. All of a sudden, there's going to be this bump. Oh, look, I've got more asset value. I'm just fabricated it on one day, basically. We've got some background noise. One of the sessions of the concurrent sessions have ended, but we're going to keep powering through. Okay, James, let's talk about the market today. You mentioned the last sort of eight weeks. You mean um, interest rates when you say the market, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the lender talking for sure here. <laughs> and I'm just curious, James, I mean, you, you were the VP of finance. So you were the guy that were procuring debt for your portfolio. I suspect you're around the same age as us. So you've never seen anything like this before. What does this mean right now to Boardwalk and how are you kind of digesting it as we're watching it happen? I mean, we've seen increases in interest rates. I mean, remember we had taper tantrum not that long ago and it wasn't quite as, the velocity wasn't quite as what we've seen over the last eight weeks. You know, but certainly, and you know, our our team will, uh, pardon my language, Sorry, I'll watch my language here, but <laughs> we can our, beep it out. Our, our, our <laughs> team, go ahead. Our team will beat me up a little bit on this, but you know, there was opportunity to, you know, forward lock some interest rates seven weeks ago and we said, you know, yeah, now's not the time. And of course, you know, every single day you're watching yields move up. And so I think, you know, certainly this is a challenge for real estate operators. I think, you know, leverage is an opportunity and one of the unique aspects where it makes a lot of sense in real estate, especially with our partners. And when you can have a partner like a CMHC that's going to provide effectively a AAA backing on your on your debt paper, I think, you know, the opportunities that have arisen in past interest rate disruptions has typically been newer product that potentially comes on on the market. And we talked about opportunities or opportunistic investment. You know, there may be some opportunistic investments that become available here over the next little while. But talking to attendees at this forum and our peers, I think there's a lot of pause today. You know, rates have just had moved so fast. I think everybody is is trying to digest kind of how to navigate through this, what this means over the next period. I think you know, as part of this higher interest rate environment, obviously, where we talked a little bit about the inflationary environment that we all we all are seeing in the marketplace today. I think, like I said earlier, the main priority for us is to really drive that pass through to our residents and our markets. I think if we can continue to do that, and I, th- and I know that other operators are doing the same here in in the Prairie Provinces, in Alberta and Saskatchewan, I think watch out for increased investment in our markets. When I think of other provinces and other markets that are more regulated, you can't do the same. Yeah. And so I think as the market starts to see, you know, strong type top line rental rate growth, again, off of a base of exceptional affordability, I think uh, we'll see some significant investment move into our markets here. Well, how much is the relationship between the energy costs are going up significantly, but that does benefit a lot of the markets that you're in. So how much of an offset is that, that theoretically your renters would have higher incomes to go along with increased energy costs, even though, of course, you see it on both the expense column and hopefully the income column? Right. Multifamily real estate, especially in our markets, have typically been a bit of a hedge for it. And so to your point, 
you know, when high, these higher energy prices, though they are impacting our utility line item, you know, generally speaking, you're going to see some improved rental rate growth. There's all it takes is a little bit of time, though, right? And so, uh, what I mean by that is those utility costs. Hey, we just paid uh, like like I said, double digit increases in our first quarter, but it takes us 12 months to start to pass that on to our residents because of those 12 month leases, and so. Again, we're, we're doing it as we speak, as we disclosed in our public disclosure just a couple of weeks ago, you know, our, our leasing spreads are improving, right? We're seeing renewal leasing spreads, you know, up in the 5% range. Again, when we think of some of our regulated markets who have similar utility cost challenges, you know, if I think of our portfolio in, in Ontario, we saw double-digit increases in utilities there as well. But... Not 80, the same leasing spreads. 85% of our portfolio is stuck at 1.7%. Yeah. And just for those that are just to hold on, leasing spreads are the difference between the rent in place versus the new rents you can obtain as that lease rolls. I wanted to back up a little bit. We're running out of time, but I just, I found this interesting and I had not had the thought before and, and having you sitting here with the the size of the portfolio that you've got, I find it really interesting because I'm watching and theorizing that there's going to be a bit of a split in the market where there's the smaller players that really just don't have the capital and liquidity to keep up with what's going on with, with interest rates up the way they are. And again, on the assumption that interest rates either stay or continue to rise in this sort of inflationary environment, I can't see it shifting drastically anytime soon versus players like yourself that are so heavily capitalized and so liquid, for lack of a better term, where you, you mentioned opportunity. And if you have many players putting their pens down, is there a pouncing potential where you're like, you know what, I can take the short-term pain today, buy at a three and a half cap, even though my financing costs are three and three quarters, because I know I'd rather have another thousand units under management today and deal with it short-term. And then the answer is, how do you balance that opportunity versus your sort of fiduciary obligation to your shareholders? You hit a bang on. And so balancing it relative to other opportunities. And we talked a little bit about the stock buyback opportunity. I mean, again, at $150,000 a door, it equates to about a 5% cap rate on trailing 12-month NOI. I'm not sure that we're seeing that in the private market yet. Again, pens are down. We saw this in 2016, 2017 in Alberta as well. When you saw a little bit of volatility, there needed to be a little bit of price discovery in the marketplace. I think we're in that zone here right now, right? And so again, speaking with uh, many of our peers and even at the conference here today, the good news is that you know, vendors, many of them don't have to sell. Yes, their interest costs are a little bit higher, but they're typically going to be well capitalized even at that property level. And then on the demand side, even for us, I mean, we're, we're looking for creative deals. Right. So in other words, doing a negative leverage deal, as you had suggested there, like a 375 cost of capital and call it a three and a half percent cap rate. You know, I think our team would certainly would look to underwrite some significant NOI growth or rental rate growth to be able to make that work. I think for us as a management team, our, our biggest job is that capital allocation. And so looking at all of those opportunities that exist, not only for accretion today, but you know, NAB growth over the medium term. I think we'll we'll continue to look at it, and depending on the, on the opportunity, we're not afraid to take advantage of that opportunity and to grow. I think we we really want to expand our platform. We think we can create value with the amazing platform that we and Boardwalk has, but we're going to do it on a disciplined basis. For sure, you have to, James. We we are out of time, but just for closing thoughts, what's the best part about having a portfolio with large exposure to this part of the country? Yeah, that's a great question, Adam. I think, you know, for us having this type of scale in this part of the country really allows us to, you know, have the opportunity to be extremely in tune with the marketplace, right? With our portfolio having 
the diversity that it has. And so when I say diversity, again, that concept of being able to retain our residents through their entire rental life cycle, like having that portfolio scale allows them to stay within the boardwalk brand, within our brand, and really optimize that and, and have the potential to increase that, that resident life cycle stay from our four years, you know, all the way up to five to six. I'd love to see that with our team. And again, you know, having that team, having the ability to you know, even pull associates, right? So when we, when we have, you know, I think of COVID, you know, when we have associates that got sick and had to be away for seven days, no problem. We've got a building down the street and we've got coverage there. Can we co-coverage cover this building? I think that was a, an extremely huge benefit for us during the pandemic uh, and continues to allow us to do and, and deliver exceptional service here today. And we can only do that with the scale and the clustering that we have. So that is it, James. I want to thank you for your time today coming to join us at uh, the Western Canada Department Investment Conference today. And Forma, thank you, of course, for putting this together and introducing us to James. Aaron, pleasure as always. And again, I'll conclude with thanking James. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, James. Well, welcome to the after show where Adam and I digest the conversation we just had with James Ha, the president of Boardwalk Reed. A great conversation for you and I. We didn't really get into it, but he spent the last, whatever it is, six, seven, eight years as VP of finance. So he's very connected and involved in the financing side of the business, which I felt like it made us a little bit more comfortable. Like he knew us, we knew him. He understood exactly where we came from, what our background was. So I think he was able to kind of play with us a little bit, play in the sense of banter and keep the conversation light. With we, that, we did avoid no, just devolving into a total conversation about interest rates. Yeah, that we was did. Good yeah, we no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he probably was conscious of that because probably that's what he would have done if he'd still the VP of finance. But now that he's the president, I think before we went live, we talked about how he was 20,000 feet. Now he's 30,000 feet. So at 30,000 feet, it involves more than just how are you financing that. Clearly a smart man. No surprise that he's found his way to presidency of one of the largest apartment owners in the country. One interesting topic we got on, we kind of touched around it, the concept of kind of cradle to grave apartment living. He talked about quite a bit about how that's one of their goals is to have suites available that satisfy different needs. But really it is that concept that has been standard in Montreal and Quebec for so long where people just kind of rent for life and there's product available to suit different stages that has not been prevalent in a lot of the rest of the country. And so seeing it reach the other side of Canada in a meaningful way, you've got a major player really focused on implementing that and servicing that need really shows that that attitude has moved to a national level. Obviously, we're seeing it you know, in, in Toronto with departments of many different demographic appeals, I guess we'll call it. I think it's really interesting. I think that you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, all the major cities will have much more of a normalization of living in apartments from start to finish. Yeah, that makes sense, right? You can argue whether it's catastrophic for the economy or just general nature of growth. But I mean, affordability is not quickly solved and maybe unsolvable, if that's a word, simply as a result of just population growth and urbanization. I can't see a world where somehow income levels catch up to housing costs in sort of Toronto and Vancouver. Where in the future, what magic bullet comes in and says, okay, everybody's now making three times as much as they're making and house prices have been cut in half. Now everybody can afford a house again. How does that ever occur? Housing affordability, while it can be controlled, is never going to be reversed. We're never going to go back to the 1960s where houses cost one year salary on average. 
like they did back then. So that means more renting, right? Like that's just the reality. And to your point, it's almost just like a paradigm shift. Like people just need to be more comfortable being renters. Like if you think about living in Montreal, it's totally normal, not just normal. It's kind of assumed you are going to be a renter your entire life for a significant portion of the population. It's not even a question of when are you going to buy your home? You're not getting that social pressures. Like, what do you mean you're renting at 30? Like, for heaven's sake, what's wrong with you? Go buy a house. Those conversations don't occur. And so I love the concept that James was talking about, the boardwalks kind of adopted is this, you're going to dub it the cradle to grave. It makes perfect sense. And to your point, I think it's just going to grow and grow and grow as a normal course of living your life versus right now, I think that's abnormal, right? Yeah. And you look at comparable cities with you know more significant development than Toronto or Vancouver, and maybe you take you know, New York as an example, maybe you take Tokyo as an example. Is the expectation there in those cities that you buy a home? I'm like, of course not. You know, it's fully implemented there. And I think that is just a function of Toronto, Vancouver in particular, but obviously this is spreading in numerous cities, just an evolution as the Canadian cities become more and more advanced from a development perspective. It is inevitable, I think. You know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting that James mentioned, I just wanted to bring it up, was just the fact that they had been using incentives. And this is consistent for Albertan apartment owners. We had heard this multiple times, not necessarily on the podcast, but just in the general conversations we had while we were at the forum here, that you've been using incentives and they were now no longer needing to use incentives. James said it, they're getting same unit lease spreads of 5%, which I've heard from other tenants, other landowners, landlords in Alberta, and they were no longer using incentives. So you're not only getting that 5% lease spread, you're also rolling the incentives off into Boardwalk. That's a $40 million revenue line item year over year as they're moving out of those incentives, which I think is just insane to me. When he said that, obviously we're on the fly. I was trying to do the quick math. I'm like, wait a minute, how big is their book? What does that work out to? Like, wow, that's just a staggering sum of money. Well, it means two things. One, think about the number of incentives they had to use to just keep the building flowing, right? Keep their cash flows up. And remember, it's a REIT. So they're a public institution. They've got some fiduciary obligations. So they have different motivations at times for doing things than maybe private owners. But nevertheless, now they don't need to. Now they're getting organic growth in their rents. Their vacancies are below market in all markets in Alberta and Saskatchewan, he kept mentioning. And now they're no longer using incentives. So positive, 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 or win, win, win to their shareholders, ultimately. Yeah. And that's actually one of those kind of softer signals we looked at in different markets across Canada. Coming out of the pandemic, a lot of cities were using incentives to keep buildings full. And so that was one of those indicators that we were really back to a strong rental market was when you talk to a landlord and they say, oh, no, I haven't done incentives in two months. Whereas, you know, you knew that seven, eight months ago, there was some very significant incentives going on. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that's it for our after show this time. That was a very interesting episode. I really enjoyed talking to James. Catching up with the future with him would be great, too, because he is relatively new to that role. So it would be interesting to catch up with him as he you know, fully, fully implements his vision of that company. But to everybody else, thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next one. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.